0: Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith Podcast here at Outsider. It's a very special week. Um, Tremendous college football playoff national championship game. I just got home last evening from Indianapolis, where I was covering all the festivities for ESPN and the Southeastern Conference Network. Had an absolute blast in Indy. uh, And that city was overtaken by the Georgia Bulldog faithful. I don't know the number. My guess is it was probably 70-30 dogs fans there in the Circle City, and one of those individuals was the great Wes Blankenship who made his way from Dahlonega or wherever he lives to Indianapolis. And first of all, brother, a good morning and congratulations. This is something you have waited your entire life for. So just just share with me what the emotion was and 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 what it means
1: well there were a lot of tears shed uh I left part of my voice back in Indy if you can't tell <laughs> but it was unreal it was everything you would want it to be um like the trip leading up to it seeing my buddies you know being knuckleheads with them in Indy it was cold but none of us cared um after you know a certain amount of Beverages, you can't even tell anyway. So it was just great. I mean, it it was as special to me as the trip we took on the Rose Bowl, which is something that a lot of Georgia fans appreciate, not just because of the way the game went, but because of the trip leading up to it. And Indy was like that for me. Um, Just a lot of special memories outside of the game um, that made it bigger than a natty. But uh, the celebration afterwards, I mean, just, being in the building, seeing that Keely Ringo pick six, seeing the mailman deliver, um, pardon my pun, but he just completed that magical season. He had a celebration <laughs> cocktail or two himself. I don't, I don't even know if he had a cocktail. It looked like he was just sipping straight from the bottle. But, uh, Marty, it was – When somebody was,
0: hands you Pappy 15, you just yeah. pull straight from the, straight from the gun, buddy. That's what he does. That's what he does. So, um, to answer your question a lot shorter, it did not disappoint. Just a phenomenal performance. And, and those of you who are regulars here, uh, regular listeners, regular viewers, uh, you notice Travis is not here today. Before we go any further, I just want to say that Wes and myself and everybody involved here uh, have Travis in our thoughts. His grandmother passed, and so he is in Ohio Uh, with his family at this moment and we're thinking about you brother so much and we're so sorry for your loss. Matt Stinchcomb a college football hall of famer will join us shortly to offer his perspective. He is one of the best greatest dogs of all time and one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life and so one of the smartest guys I've ever
1: met he he is like a, uh, a
0: genius. He is. He's a very smart man and, and does a phenomenal job for ESPN. He broadcasts college football games with my bud, Taylor Zarzer, and Alyssa Lang. They have an amazing crew. And so Stinch has, has lived this his entire life just like Wes has and, and, and in a very different way. He was, again, one of the greatest players in the history of that program. And so it's going to be fun to hear what he has to say here in a few minutes. There's so many layers to the experience and part of that is undoubtedly the fact that not only did Georgia win the national championship for the first time since 1980 they also beat Nick Saban in the Alabama Crimson Tide to do it and I interviewed Kirby Smart on Tuesday morning for ESPN Southeastern Conference Network uh, right before he went on the team bus to go over to the airport to fly home to Athens and one of the things that I wondered was what is the impact of that and how does the fact that it was Alabama play into the overall equation and for his entire tenure at Georgia since Tua in 26 in 2017 that that moment hung over the program it just did I don't care how many people try to tell you otherwise it did because they had that national championship really in, their, in the palm of their hand at that moment, and it slipped out when Tua Tangavailoa threw that pass to Devontae Smith, and I appreciated Kirby's candor. He said the fact that it was Alabama that we beat does make it a bit sweeter because they, nobody can ever say, but it wasn't Bama, because it was Bama. And there is that layer involved in it. There's the Stetson Bennett layer involved in it. All this young man has heard is, you're not good enough to lead us there. Even though his offensive coordinator, Todd Monken, who, by the way, I thought called an amazing game the other night, he, uh, he, before the uh, Cotton Bowl, pardon me, the Orange Bowl, before the Orange Bowl, Coach Monken said, look, I know we can win the national championship, and I know we can do it with Stetson Bennett behind center. And so there was so much validation in all of that. Stetson Bennett's life is a movie. I interviewed him on the field after the game, and I asked him about that movie. And he's a very thoughtful young man. He's a very considerate person in the way that he answers what you ask. And he just kind of grins at that. He will always have a chip on his shoulder. I don't care that he won the national championship. That chip's still going to be there, Wes. No doubt about it, man. I mean for Stetson specifically
1: <clears throat> watching him go from the dude at Georgia that was running scout team as Baker Mayfield at the Rose Bowl and really like that was a name that I think Georgia fans kind of laughed about a little bit they were he was a you know a joke not like a in an insulting way but like ah maybe Stetson will have to lead us um to the Rose Bowl you know i remember people saying that like maybe we should just play Stetson because he's given our defense a a tougher time at practice than they've seen all year. But it was always with a wink and a nod, and he leaves and goes and plays Juco, you know, and, and comes back. And, you know, last year, to see what he was last year, he's like a different human. I mean, a different player, just a different guy, like from one year to the next. And I think Todd Munkin deserves so much credit for being a difference maker for this team, what he was able to draw up for this offense, these receivers. A.D. Mitchell being a freshman and going out there when people wondered, like, is the sky falling when George Pickens tears his ACL in the offseason? You know, we think we're going to bring in Eric Gilbert to play tight end, but he can't be eligible. Darnell Washington was injured for the Clemson game. Who stepped up? A freshman, Brock Bowers. It's just, like, so many unlikely characters. I know that Georgia was the team all year that was crushing skulls, but – the thing that I appreciate the most is those unlikely stories like Stetson, like Brock. Well, his he's, is, not a, he's not an unlikely hero now, but he was at the start of the season. And that's, that's what will be so special when I look back on this team.
0: When you talk about Bauer specifically, you're talk, I mean, I, I remember sitting with Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator for, for Michigan, ahead of the Orange Bowl, and he said that guy's elite right now. I mean, I, I'm talking pro level right now. And he has the entire route tree. When you talk to guys who've played against him, it's about his catch radius. And we saw that manifested during the national championship when Stetson threw a ball way, way behind Brock, and he caught it anyway. He I mean, reached all the way around his body, full tilt, and caught the football anyway. Uh, just a tremendous player. And George is going to have him for two more years, and then he might be the highest drafted tight end in the history of the NFL draft. But Stetson's story specifically, going back to it being a movie, some of y'all listening who may not be college football fanatical like we are, may not know that story. That story's crazy. He grew up going to games with his old man. He told me mid-season or so, maybe a little past midseason, I went down to Athens and had a conversation with Stetson, and he said all he ever dreamed of doing was running out that tunnel at Sanford Stadium and touching the grass. That's all he ever wanted to do. And so... To be the quarterback that's leading the best team in the country, the most dominant team in the country, the most consistent team at the country, uh, in the country, of course this was before Alabama beat them in the SEC championship, was beyond his ability to even compute. And I asked him about the, the pressure that comes with being Georgia's quarterback because it's immense pressure, it's overwhelming pressure. That fan base is a fan base full of expectation, full of demand, full of heartache, not now, back then. And so they see this opportunity. I see Wes's little grin on his face. There's, when, when, when you have the best team in the country, that's a lot of pressure when you haven't won a championship in so long. When the fan base is so victory-starved, there's a lot that comes with that. And I loved, I loved what Stetson said, again, going back to how thoughtful he is in answering the question posed him. He paused for a minute and he looked off into the horizon and he said, man, I can't, I can't look at it any other way than the job is, can you win games and can you complete passes? Because if I make it anything bigger than those two fundamental aspects, I think about the millions of people that are counting on me every snap, I'll short circuit. And that just told me so much. And then, of course, the news comes out here last week that the guy has a flip phone. And I loved how beautiful that expl- that explanation was so important, man, because it reminds me so much, even though I'm 22 or three years his senior, it reminds me of my approach to social media now and why I, I eliminated it from it, my life.
1: I wish I had it. I wish I had a flip phone. Give me my razor me back. Too. like. Uh, I I need it. I need that in my life. I need. I was talking to my friends about it over the weekend or on that trip. They're like, man, like, what's it like to have your career depend on social media? I'm like, I mean, I'll do my job because I have to, but I would leave it today.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, me too. I'm me too, and We don't need to go all the way down this road because I I will write about it in my next book. And it's something that we should really have a a true, lengthy, in-depth conversation about someday because I know it affects a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Uh, And speaking of affecting people, a lot of people count millions and trillions and billions of people in a lot of different ways and speaking of individuals who impact billions and trillions of people on a daily basis here he is one of the great georgia bulldogs of all time wearing the polo he won for birdieing 18 at the kirby smart golf tournament (laughs) in bainbridge (laughs) back in april the great matt stenchcomb my man i'm okay first congratulations to you to dog nation I want just the floor is yours. Define what this is, what this means
2: to all of y'all. Well, what it means is you better look both ways before you cross the street because if you get hit by a bus, you're gonna die happy now. (laughs) (laughs) Braves World Series championship, and the dogs finally win a national title. There's little to no hope for the Falcons, and I'm not sure anybody watches the Hawks anymore. So if that's the case. then I don't know what else we could hope for. You know, maybe a 10-pointer walks through your front yard and you get it back <laughs> over with the lawnmower. But otherwise, this is about as good as it gets.
1: Yeah, after, after a career, a lifetime of fandom, of not seeing this, and then to have it happen all in one calendar year, I don't even know what to do with myself right Just now. Just a few months. I mean,
2: it's only been I, like four months, man. I
1: do not know what oh. to do with my hands. I'm like Ricky Bobby. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, hey, Wes, we don't have to do anything with our hands. We don't have to do anything anymore, really. We just sit in our chairs, kick back, relax, double jack. You know, it's one of those things now where I think that, you know, after four decades of torture, I mean, it really is torture. Those uh, The SEC shorts where they do that thing with hope. <laughs> hope is just a fancy word for torture, really. It's more acceptable in social settings, and I think that's why they used it. Because otherwise, you're sitting there and you're going – Guys, it's been generations for crying out loud. We darn near squeaked one out. I was three years old when you know we last knocked this thing over the fence. So uh, we were more than due. And I'm, I'm, we'll, I will question what the work productivity of the state of Georgia is going to look like for the next couple of weeks, maybe months. Well, my boss is gonna be listening to, listening
1: to this and I live in Georgia. So I just wanna assure everybody that I'm working very, very hard.
0: Wes is oh, working sure. very hard with his thir- his three-day hangover where he's pounding 100% like pounding black just Folgers black right <laughs> Dude, now trying to get the blood from recirculating it. from all the cold beer and Jack Daniels he's been consuming. All right, I know you got to have a text string with all the boys. How did that yeah. thing unfold during the game?
2: Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I did not pay close attention to it during the game. Cause let's be honest guys. I mean, defense looked great. And the offense was, you know, stepping all over themselves. And, and uh, there was a few moments where it wasn't even the opponent on the field necessarily. There was a couple other folks on the field that we had some, some issues with. Um, uh, they kept dropping pieces of fabric on the, on the field at inopportune times and, and, uh, Apparently had some visual issues. I don't know what happened in the replay booth, <laughs> um, but there were there were moments where the phone was buzzing uh, excessively, and I thought it's probably best for my mental health and arrest record if I don't check these text threads. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think that proved to be a good decision long term. But there's there's a lot before and after that's for sure.
1: My phone died. Me um, and a couple of my friends made it down to the section where Marty found a ticket for me and, and I owe him big time. We'd already bought tickets, but Marty texts me and was like, hey, we got got one for you, a couple sections closer to the field. So how can I turn that down? So we squeezed down in there. Um there are a couple people that work for the SEC network that are that are my friends. I won't incriminate them. Um but they were sitting down there beside <laughs> us too and they're both big dogs and uh my phone died and I was like, man I'd taken pictures leading up to it and throughout the game and stuff. But I sat there, like, we were talking about Stetson's flip phone. I was so glad I could just soak it in and not see it through a screen, you know? And, you know, I've covered this team as a reporter and a journalist for the past decade, uh, even back to college. And I gave up so many moments, like tailgating with friends to, you know, be in a press room and, and work for all this. And it just struck me like, I don't have to be working this week. I can, I can hang out with them as they party leading up to the game, and I could just soak it all in as a fan. We went to St. Elmo with a couple of the guys from uh, 680 Stinch. Uh Hoyt yeah. was in there. In oh, Lord. Los, and uh, the, co- the Georgia coaches' wives are sitting at a table um, at the front of the restaurant, and everybody was cheering for them um, as they walked out of the restaurant. People start calling the dogs and the ringleader in the middle of the room gets the cops called on him for calling you the dogs to You were there when to... that happened? I was in the back. And Dude, I that saw was a it.
0: hillbilly headline on Marty and McGee. That's and awesome. I,
1: I cannot confirm that that's why the cops came in. Apparently he'd been having a rough night before that, and that's why the cops came in. But the optics of it just combined for a very special lead-up to the game. You know, you walk in and Kirk and Chris Fowler, you know – having their shrimp cocktails and wine and steaks or whatever. And um, it was just an all-time atmosphere. Eli Gold was in there too. Um, I forgot – I meant to ask him if he'd heard of Coffee Town, but I I don't think he was –
0: Oh, you should have.
1: Yeah, I I just – I kept moving, man. My head was on a swivel the whole time in there. But that, like, that moment was special. I roll up, you know, when we first get into Indy, the Postal Service Dispatch Office – is right outside of Lucas Oil. I'm like, if that's not an omen, I don't know what is. Uh, the mail person delivered mail to the bar that we were in at an embarrassingly early hour on uh, Monday. Um, so there was another omen. And then Kirby talked about how he saw Vince Dooley like right when he got to Indy. And he felt yeah. like that was, that was a special omen. Like all these little moments that kind of led up to the game are things I'll look back on and be like, wow, that was – Truly a a special
2: trip. Yeah, you know, with all that Postal Service references, I've heard a couple of people mention uh, from the Bama side that that it might have been a governmental conspiracy. (laughs) 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 It's it's amazing (laughs) the extents that we will go to to explain Uh. things. I do wonder this now, Wes, because you, I mean, Collins Hill winning the state championship yeah. oh in football. So I mean, You really do need to check your six, man, because this might be it for you. It, I don't know that it gets much better from a sports perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, Parkview guy here, you know how crazy that is to even say that Collins Hill won a state championship in football. Yeah. But I made a vow on this show a few weeks ago that if Georgia completed the trifecta, I would get a tattoo to commemorate, all three state, national, and world titles now for my team. So I was going to
0: bring that up uh, before. I'm we working got on it. What, working uh, what exactly it. will that tattoo entail, Wesley?
1: I don't know. I'm open to ideas. My wife's a graphic designer, so she'll have to sketch. Oh, you're gold. She'll what is the Collins
0: Hill mascot? An eagle. Okay, we got it. I got it right now. Okay. Okay. There needs to be there's there there's a there's there's a G. All right, you got a G. Yeah. and it's got to have a tomahawk kind of coming through the G with an eagle soaring above all. That's the tat, and it needs to be like on your on your inner thigh. That's oh. where the tat needs to be located, Wesley. Oh, my
1: Wesley. gosh. God, I, I, would, I would die. So I was thinking the Indianapolis Motor Speedway logo with the wings could kind of be a hat tip to the eagles. The oh. motor – the uh, the G could be the tire in the middle, and then no, no, no. you're not a fan. No, uh, dude, you no. gotta have like an E. You gotta I have like America Eagle. Like what if the e- what if it's like the eagle on the dollar bill that's holding arrows and a, what's it holding like a like a piece a piece he of the hedge? Yeah, and you it's, want it's to holding put the a tomahawk. Latin
2: phrase in there. Okay, yeah. well I like that. Now okay, what if I'll the take eagle that. is sitting on top of the arches? Oh my gosh! And there's a top or there's a well maybe there's a chapel bell. Wait, no, it's got to be your bull. I think mm-hmm. maybe what, what has to happen was maybe you do the, the Braves A. Okay. The uh, – well, now, there's not really a Georgia B. And then the – I was going for the alphabetical thing just to keep things simple because you don't want people staring at your inner thigh too long. It needs to be something no. you understand immediately. I like, mean, should there be like an instant
0: hand? recognition? Should there be a – I mean, yeah. doesn't, doesn't the United States Postal Service, aren't they eagle? They already there you go. go. There you go.
2: Son, you That's it. it. Just get right. the Postal Service
0: logo. That's it. All right. Yeah. Okay.
1: You, and you don't have I to Stetson for rights, though. That ain't so.
2: corporates <laughs> at all.
1: <laughs> Can Stets- hey. Is Stetson allowed to have an NIL deal with the post office?
2: I was wondering that. Now, remember when Lance Armstrong and all that, well, yeah. the, the, oh, the, yeah. disassociate all that stuff. The, the Postal Service, service sponsored Correct. a bicycle team or whatever they That's were doing, the Tour de France team. Why can they not sponsor a national championship winning quarterback?
1: Yeah, I think it, it just makes sense. That and Pappy. Pappy are his two NIL deals. It's, <laughs> no no joke. His real one was Great Clips. The morning of the national championship, he put an Instagram post, getting my haircut like a champion at Great Clips. So, what a legend. Uh, Lord, could
2: he could he send Tate Ratledge and all the backup quarterbacks for Jordan at yeah. Great Clips?
3: Yeah, one other little <laughs> – uh, uh, maybe not so
0: little, but you were talking about omens and all the different things. McGee and I had Jeff Foxworthy on oh, yeah. the Marty and McGee television program on Monday, and he read a hillbilly headline from Georgia about a old boy who shot an armadillo in his yard, and it ricocheted off the armadillo, went through the, the trailer next door, oh through, through <laughs> the recliner on which his mother-in-law was sitting, and he shot his mother-in-law <laughs> off an armadillo, it's like Holy you know, <laughs> smokes. And and it was the funniest damn thing I've ever seen in my life. I could not breathe. But so Foxworthy gets up after he reads his headline, and he turns to me and he goes, he he mouths to me. He's like, "It's our year. <laughs> it's our turn. It's got to be our turn." <laughs> that was it. That was the omen. Um, so. So obviously you know Kirby better than Wes and I do. I mean, I've covered him now for for 6-8 years, whatever that is, all the way back to when he was a DC at Bama. And I know wow. what an intense person he is. I know how much that state and that program means to him, a native son from Bainbridge for an all SEC player there, the whole thing. You know him, dude. You know him. What what did he like what came off of his back?
2: With this, like, what what load
0: is off of him?
2: Uh, you know what? I, I can't even appreciate that element of it. I don't think. I think he has the most unique experience that you could have possibly had, um, and it's it's different from Coach Dooley because Coach Dooley played at Auburn, grew up in Mobile, and Kirby grew up in Georgia, and he grew up a Georgia fan, and then he got to be a Georgia player and a darn good one and then got to be a georgia coach and to win a national championship as the head coach at your alma mater in your home state for the team that you grew up rooting for that's about as global of a, of an experience as you could have that's different from anything that i could even try to relate to as you know i grew up a fan grew up in georgia played there and that's where it ended You know, talking about them as a commentator, and I'm a fan when I don't have my little analyst hat on, but that's not the same as returning your program to the the stature that it's you know attained now, and then actually getting over the hump after forty long years, forty one, as it's so often uh, I'm often reminded. I don't I don't know that I can appreciate that. I mean, I could think as a player. I know what it's like as having played there the first. You know, two elements of that I can check those boxes. I think know what he would be feeling like, but then it's amplified to the point that I can't appreciate. It's it's unique to him, and I know Coach Spurrier did it at Florida, and Coach Fulmer did it at Tennessee. I don't it's know. Twenty five years grew
0: ago.
2: Up. Oh yeah. And, well, and, and those guys, those guys, I, I don't maybe they I know Coach Spurrier didn't grow up a Florida fan. Uh, you know, yeah, he's he grew in up in East Tennessee, in Hill, Tennessee, yeah. right? So it's. He's not – I'm pretty sure that wasn't a real strong bastion of Florida Gator fans. <laughs> in fact, Florida hadn't won anything until he got there uh, as a coach anyhow. So why would you be a fan of Florida? I don't know what Fulmer's background was, but I know Kirby's. And so it's uh, – it's it really is kind of a singular event for a head coach in that regard, I think. And so I don't know. I know for the state, I know as a, a player and fan that – um I mean it was I was amazed at how emotional it really was and I thought I you know, I haven't strapped up a chin strap in twenty years. For he was anybody. floating stench. He after he the game been.
0: after the game. I mean I'm talking I'm talking 1:15 in the morning, 1.30 mm-hmm. in the morning. I was standing on the field waiting to interview Stetson and Louis, Cien, who I mean, that, that that is a dude right there. I mean that defense just yeah. blows my mind. We could go off on a whole tangent we don't have time yeah. for right this second, but, but I was waiting to interview those two, and I did so, and then I walked down to the end zone where Kirby was doing uh, Sports Center, I think, mm-hmm. and he turned around and he came over and he gave me a big hug, and I'm telling y'all, his feet were not even on the ground. He couldn't, he couldn't. He obviously still, when I interviewed him yesterday morning on Tuesday morning, he has not processed yet. Yeah what all of that is and I think as human beings especially competitive human beings I think when we have heartbreak like y'all had in 2017 I think you suppress that you repurpose that in the form of fuel and if I ever get the opportunity to do that again damn it I'm gonna seize it I'm gonna seize it I'm gonna repurpose it it's gonna be my passion and my drive to make sure it doesn't happen again and it might be I mean, it may not might not hit him for months. But
2: and a lot and a lot, lot of vodka right. tonics later. <laughs> hey, Wes, I'm ready to boil a mouthpiece after that. <laughs> Marty, Marty's got me he's got me wound up. I think Dem- you're t- right. I mean, Wes is gone. Wes has he, he, Wes Stitch, He's done. He, he, <laughs> he wasn't up, watching his six. his ankles He went he's, he's getting so, his ankles he's taped. Out.
0: Yeah, he's, he's going, going to get to, that. Uh, he's going to get that fly like an eagle tattoo on his uh, on his inner thigh.
2: Wes well, is going to go. He's about to go cross body check the postal. He's the mailman. Probably just pulled up in the driveway. He just figured he'd <laughs> go up there and night train it.
0: Well, look, brother, uh, I love your spirit so much, and I'm grateful that you took the time for us today to offer us that type of perspective. Uh, and congratulations, you, your brothers. Enjoy it. I know you do. I know you will. And I can't wait to see you soon. Thank you so much. we got to get you on again real soon.
2: That'd be fun. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you, brother. Go dogs!
0: There it is. I knew that was coming. (laughs) Matt Stinchcomb, uh, amazing college football analyst for ESPN with my brother Taylor Zarzer and Alyssa Lang. They do a great job. And now he's going to float away himself (laughs) Off (laughs) off into the Bulldog horizon. See you, brother. See you, man. Thank you so much to the great Matt Stinchcomb, who does such a great job on ESPN. He works with me there uh, alongside my, my brother Taylor Zarzer and the great Alyssa Lang, calling college football games every week. And uh, I just love his insight. Somebody who's lived that Georgia passion his entire life. Thank you so much to Stinch. We've lost Wes. I don't know where he went. Uh, we were laughing. He might be off getting that uh, U.S. Postal Service tattoo on his inner thigh now. Now I just want to take a second to preview uh, an awesome interview that I did with Hardy. This guy has flipped Nashville on its ear, and you guys are going to love this conversation. Uh, As Brandon said last week, it meant the world to me what Hardy had to say about this interview. He said he really enjoyed it. Said he really enjoyed the passion that we have here at the Marty Smith Podcast for country music, and the way that there's variety in the format and the, and, and the work that he's done. So I really think you guys are going to enjoy this one so much. Here's Michael Hardy on the Marty Smith Podcast. So I was going to start in a different place, uh, whatnot, but I'm going to skip around now. Uh, okay. I'm going to start with Give Heaven Some Hell. I had a buddy when I was in eighth grade who died in a car wreck. All right. And we were kind of the different type, man. He was the first guy I ever saw still. his old man's Marlboro's. He was the first guy that I ever saw. You know, kind of he looked, taught me how to cuss. And when he died, it was this weird void, I guess, is the right way to say it. It was the first, like, real loss I'd ever experienced. And the first time that I heard that song, I hadn't thought. His name's Mike Morris. Brother, I hadn't thought of him in decade, Decades. And the first person I thought of was him. So my question to you is, how was that idea formulated? And if anyone specific, who's it about? So
3: so I have about four people that I have lost that I've been close to. And and I guess I would say it's about all of them. Um, okay. It's not dedicated to one single person, but there's just a handful of people. Uh, similar thing, man. From the time I was like, you know high school to a few years ago. And um, so and I, I get that question a lot. But it is not about one specific person. Uh, but the, the way the song came about, is actually kind of crazy. So I have a song on my record called truck. And um, the second verse of that has a similar thing where it talks about a sticker on the back of a truck that has, you know, the, the death, the date of a guy that died. And, and anyway, originally, the last line of that, that verse was because he's given heaven some hell, and when we threw that line out, we all looked at each other and we were like, dude, that give heaven some hell is its own idea. Let's change this line and let's write give heaven some hell after this. And that's exactly what we did. It's one thing to
0: have a line like that. It's a whole other thing to put another line in that song that says, I was there when you raised your hand. Yeah. To me, that, that one line adds a level of depth that is so personal and like visceral right like your soul how yeah. what whose line was it when did that happen
3: i think i i think that one was mine man um i remember when we got into that bridge i remember thinking you know christian people are going to raise a brow and say how do we know this guy's in heaven exactly and i'm exactly i, like, I know how we're going to get into heaven and so that's where we took it in the bridge you know i think that's doing your good you know your due diligence as a as a uh, you know somebody that grew up in a church and have seen time and time again people with their head down raising their hand and so that moment is very real i appreciate that that's the biggest that's the most important part of that whole song
0: it really is and and it just I, i'm i love the writing process i love learning about how those things come together and whose inspiration it was and who you're in a room with and all those things but when when that line, the first time I heard it on the radio, I went, oh, OK, that's that's how they're going to tie this thing together and make sure that everybody understands that he accepted. Uh, I thought right. it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. Thank you, So man. I appreciate it. Uh, how uh, how did
3: music enter your world? So, uh, man, when I was like. Probably four or five years old, I was riding in my dad's truck and he got a cassette. And I still remember this to this day. I remember exactly where we were in my hometown and everything. And he said, check out this band, it's called Pearl Jam. And he put the cassette in and the first song that played was Alive by Pearl Jam. And dude, I see it like a movie. It like just crawled all over me. And I was like, what in the hell is this? And from that moment on, I became obsessed to be completely honest with rock and roll. I grew up country, I grew up in a small town, but I, from then until today, I have been just a, just as obsessed with anybody with uh, rock and roll. And, and so that just, that made me fall in love with music in general. And then of course, you know, I got into everything, you know, the older I got, but um, yeah, I mean that, and then, you know, when I turned 17 or 18, I started writing my own songs and, you know, kind of the age old story, like you should move to Nashville, you should move to Na- Nashville. And I just moved to Nashville and, you know, Just slowly kind of just everything started happening after four or five years, six or seven years, really. And, and, you know, here we are. But but I I got into music and became very, very obsessed with music at an early age. And in the songwriting side, like I was really into like Eric Church's first record. I was very into Brad Paisley because uh, especially like old Brad Paisley, because there were songs like Letter to Me. um, Oh, yeah. Uh, there's so many that I could mention, but uh, that I just thought were so cool and, and ideas that had never been said before. And they had such a cool way of, of writing the song. And, and, and I became sort of obsessed with that and I always like writing in school, like even dumb stuff like essays and stuff in English class. Like I was always really good at it and kind of had a knack for it. And so I guess just all that sort of kind of converged and, and became, you know, sort of my songwriting spirit or, or craft or whatever.
0: How did Sinners like me impact you? Why? Why is that the oh, one you just mentioned? Uh,
3: that that one was big. I tell you, even though it was a little bit later, the song that got me was "Homeboy," um, because I had a good friend in high school. Um, he and I were best buddies. We got in a little bit of trouble in high school, and he uh, he lived with me. Uh, he got kicked out of the house, and then uh, ended up going to prison, um, and. I moved to Nashville, not to get away from that, but it was kind of a nice, you know, start over. You know, I I still talk to him, but I'd go see him in prison, the whole thing. But when I moved to Nashville, shortly, like the first six months I was there, Eric put out Homeboy. And when I heard that song, it hit me so hard, that and like the subject matter, and obviously I was dealing with a very similar thing, the production and how rock and roll it was like, that song, again, like it just flew all over me, and I, and I, I that's flipped a switch in my head where I was like, that's I want to write that. That's what I want to do. I want to do rock and roll, but over a really good country lyric. And I've dedicated my entire songwriting career to chasing that exact like feeling that that song gave me.
0: Yeah, it was different, man. Uh, that's Casey Bethard at his best. Mm-hmm. That song's about C.J. and Tucker. And yep. I, I just uh I agree with you. It's uh it's a it's an amazing idea. <laughs> what an idea. Yep. Uh so when so how did growing up in Mississippi shape your worldview? Man,
3: uh I guess good and bad ways, you know. Um it I definitely took everything in growing up and I I, I grew up just the most traditional all American baseball playing, you know country boy, teenager, you name it. You know, that's, I grew up about as cliche as a small town kid could grow up. Um, And, you know, it, I mean, it, obviously it, it, you know, just paying attention to life and and how I grew up and the way things are in a small town have definitely helped me, you know, be able to write that, that story over and over again. Um, and, And, you know, Uh, there's a i'm thankful for a lot of that but i'm also glad i got out because i i didn't know how the world worked you know what i mean and i think traveling has been the biggest thing for my growth as a person um you know more than anything so uh but but you know all that aside it i owe everything to to my hometown for the way that i write songs
0: i'm the same way i grew up in appalachia i grew up in the middle of nowhere and it's one of those towns that You marry your high school sweetheart and you have a few kids and you, you know, move in a mile down the road from your parents. And that's awesome if that's your dream, if that's the way you want your path to go. But I was fearless. I had fantastic dreams. I knew I was going to get out and do something special. I didn't know what that was, but I knew I was going to do that. And God's blessed me enough where I was able to see I've seen things I never would have dreamed, man. And I'm grateful for it. Uh, Same. as you made your way through this, this journey, you know, you were talking about it being six or seven years before you really hit. It's a 10 year town. How did you meet Morgan Wallen? And how did, in my opinion, I think you two really reshape the format with <laughs> being unabashedly, I mean, to steal your own line, to being be unabashedly country and, and discussing those things that for so long on country radio were taboo. They were, they wouldn't put that on a radio.
3: Well, you know, that's, that was something I never understood because all of my friends back home, you know, love that stuff. And, and there's so many more small towns than there are cities. You know, there's a lot of the small towns fill in the gaps in, of America. And, and so I know that there's hundreds of I mean, There's millions of people that speak that language. And 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 to be honest, you know that's who your our, your fans are. That's who your market is, and they want to hear that crap, man. And and they, they had been deprived of it for so long. And I think it was just a perfect storm of of you know, kind of shooting for the stars as far as the you know the, all the redneck stuff. But um, I met Morgan. He he was just scheduled to write. He I think the way I talk was probably top forty at the time. Um, never met him before. He was still young, you know. He nobody really knew who he was first art you know first single you know top 40 which is really not a whole lot you know to to talk about yet and and uh so at the time i was living in an apartment he was scheduled to write with me and i got a text and said hey this is morgan Wallen. where do you want to write tomorrow and i gave him my address and he came over and we wrote and um and then uh we wrote again and then I went out on the road with FGL, and he was out there with him. We rode out there, and we just became buddies. And, then, and, and, you know, around that time, uh, I signed my record deal about a year after that, and he took me on tour, and, and you know, the rest is history. We've, we've been writing ever since.
0: How do you define his ride? How do you um, define what he's doing? Because to sell out Rupp Arena three straight nights – And then to turn around and like people don't go, people don't play Bridgestone for a reason. And he sold that out for three straight nights. Yeah, it's Garth Brooks level. How 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 do you define this or 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 or, or quantify
3: this? I I mean, it's 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 he is is the you know not even to compare him to Garth, but he is he has become the artist, the country artist of our generation. I think. Why? And how? I have a lot of okay one is the song he the songs that he's put out uh, are great um, he is kind of unapologetically himself uh, he's very real uh, in a lot of different ways good and bad and if he was sitting right here I'd say the same thing but people resonate with that people have fallen in love with him they love that he's got a mullet they love that he don't give a shit about anything um, you know uh, I just think it's the perfect storm, man. Um, and, and a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff is just, you know, it just happens. And sometimes there's not a definition, but, but, uh, I think that people have just fallen in love with, with him and, and, you know, who he is, whether it's, you know, some of that stuff is good stuff or bad stuff. he He's just himself. And, and he's a real person. And, you know, I think humanizing yourself, um, for a lot of artists in the past has, has been very beneficial to them. Look at Eminem and how he, he opened up his personal life to the public and in his songs, and people fell in love with that because it humanized him and it made people feel like they you know, were him and he was one of them. And I think Morgan is a very similar thing.
0: We're all flawed, Hardy. And when somebody's vulnerable enough to admit their flaws and bear that, it's first of all empowering to that person but it's overwhelmingly powerful to the people who need to hear it on the other yeah. end of the speaker. And I agree with you. That's one thing about Morgan that I appreciate. I, I, I couldn't believe what I read when I saw that that record is the number one record in the world across all genres. That's just remarkable. It's just remarkable. Yeah. Uh, and you're a big part of that. I mean, you were there for him and with him when he was at the – now that he's at the top and you were there with him and for him when he was really struggling a year ago. Um, yeah, you noted FGL earlier. I know they had an indelible mark on your path. How would you describe what they are and
3: in your path? They were the first country like, you know, superstar first big act that truly gave me a shot. Um, and i will i will forever remember that and i really will they um i didn't really have anything going on and i they had me out on the road and i got out there and i wrote with them and i guess they they you know kind of fell in love with the way i wrote songs and and they put me on the map man i mean whether that was through them i met you know all the big loud people i met other artists through them um you know, obviously, they, they were a part of Up Down. They, they, you know, singled Simple, and I had seven or eight cuts on that record. And, I mean, they, they, they were behind me in the beginning with my record deal, and and uh, they had me on the record with Y'all Boys. I mean, they they really helped jumpstart my career, and, and, and they believed in me. They, they were the first people to, to believe in me from, like, an artist platform, no doubt. There was nobody else at that time that was doing that for me.
0: What was so okay? Hold on, let me back up. What was the cut that changed your trajectory? Um, it was up, down. It was up, down. I mean, it's a great damn yep. song.
3: Thank you. That was my first, it was my second single, technically, but my first hit. And, um, yeah, that 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 pretty much changed everything. That got me in rooms that that I had never been in before.
0: What are the emotions when you're in year five of those seven years, when you're just hoping?
3: I never got discouraged, man. Like similar to what you said, I, I, when I moved here and not even out of like cockiness, almost just out of stupidness, I never had a plan B. I never, I never considered it. I just always, not even again, out of confidence, I just sort of always just assumed that it was, it was eventually going to happen. And there were times where I'd get frustrated, you know, like a song would get cut by an artist and it wouldn't make the record. There were a few of those, and I would get down. But, um, dude, I just kept my head down and kept going. I mean, truly. Um, that And I just, I just knew one day it was going to happen. I just had a feeling.
0: One of the things that matters the most to me at this point in my life, I'm a lot older than you, but when I'm in an SEC town and – People walk up to me, no matter their age group, no matter their demographic, and they say, I love to hear you because you're speaking for us. You sound like me. And being a kid from nowhere, Mississippi, who made it. You made it, dude. What's that badge for you that you can be a beacon for that area and for the rural
3: South in general? Dude, it means everything. Um, Same. It means everything. And I think that was like, you know, that was a part of, that was the first chip on my shoulder that I had, you know, uh, was I think a lot of people, um, you know, didn't think I was going to do it. Didn't think I was going to make it. And, and, but to now kind of go back home and, and to be like a, like a, like kind of a hero, like a, like a, you know, the guy that everybody was like, holy shit, I can't believe he did it, you know? And, and, and I'm singing songs for them and and about them. And dude, I mean, it means, it means everything. We we played my county fair, the Neshoba County Fair, which is a really cool county fair. You got to look it up if you've never heard of it. But, um, and the amount of people that, that came to that, that was a huge moment for me because like, I knew I'd never really played like a good headlining show in Mississippi yet. And I just knew then like uh, it, it hit me. I was like, Oh my God, man, this is this is real and it, it it truly means absolutely everything to me.
0: What are those emotions though? Like when you're looking back at the you know, old Jim Bob that you were in gym class with down there singing every damn word you wrote.
3: That's gotta be different. It's a lot of mixed emotions, I, I, I'm proud, dude, on a very real level. Like, there's this weird um, kind of emotion of, of guilt. Like, why was it me, you know? Um,
0: uh, well, you were willing to take the chance. You were willing to bet I, on yourself. A lot of people aren't.
3: Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, it's, it's weird, man. There's a lot of – I run into some people – who are doing fine and, and uh, just, it definitely feels weird and, and I, there's a lot of that. Yeah, I, there, it's a lot of like why me, but but also very thankful. And I still, dude, I'm in shock when I go to my hometown and like, I don't know, I, it's it's still, some of it just doesn't even feel real because I, I, I ride around those roads and I see kids in trucks sitting in gas stations and I just think like, that was literally me. Ten years ago, eleven years ago, that was literally me, and and it's still very uh, shocking to to uh, realize that I, that this is real and that I, I did, I made it, and and it's I'm you know the guy that ever like that in Philadelphia that like that went out and actually did it. It's it's really crazy.
0: I can relate on a lot of levels. All right, I know you got to hop. I want two more quick ones. We're gonna shift gears Let's to sports. I saw on your Instagram feed that you were at the College World Series to see your Mississippi State Bulldogs win the national championship. What was that like for an old boy from nowhere Mississippi to
3: see that? Dude, it was amazing. And I was with all of my best friends. Uh, you know, and, and, and I grew up going to more baseball games than I did football back in the day. My dad that signed me. was That place crazy. Dude, it's, especially now, it's nuts. But um, very full circle moment, even for me, because how much I loved going to state baseball games back in the day when maybe we weren't as good as we are now. Um, and to, to be able to say that I was there to witness Mississippi State's first ever national championship in any sport uh, is, is surreal, man. And I, a guy that I've just become friends with, his name is Todd, reeves he's the one that hooked it up for all of us and he's a great guy and i'm forever thankful for him but dude that was an experience of a lifetime and i will never forget it what is your golf past like i'm
0: watching these instagram uh videos of you like flipping a damn club behind your back like dude perfect and then just laser beaming this
3: whatever you (laughs) got like a seven
0: iron and you're hitting at 200 i mean i don't know what the hell's going on with this but Uh, what's your, what's your golf past and, um, what's your handicap?
3: Man, I played in high school. Uh, it was a, and our golf team was really good. And it was a bunch of redneck dudes that we just played a lot of golf and we got real good. And we'd go to, we'd go down to Jackson and just beat the hell out of these prep schools. And it was awesome, dude. (laughs) Um, but I've, I've always loved the game my dad played. He got me into it. I love everything about it, man. Um, and I'm playing, I finished this year at like a seven, uh damn my best best year was it was i played at a five two years ago uh or actually it was 2020 during COVID, obviously because i played golf all the time but man i love it um love the game again love everything i love the etiquette like i love everything about it it's just it's it teaches um integrity you know when you play by yourself and and uh, self-control and a lot of stuff but um i just love i don't even like watching it I, i have some buddies that are on the tour and it's fun to know them and know they're doing good but I just like playing the game, man. It's, it's fun. It's, it's hard and has ups and downs, but I love everything about the sport. Walk me through that hole in one. Oh, dude. So I had already played 18. Uh, me and my buddy were playing together and we, were, we played another nine. And uh, the, the day I, we played 18 and I, it was I, one of the worst that I had ever played. And uh, anyway, so we're starting, we played the back nine again, so we played 10. I played 11, and uh, well, let me start over. My buddy, he's a lefty, just like me. I'm a lefty, and, and I said, you know what, for fun on this last nine, let's let let's play out of each other's bag. He said, okay, so anyway, I hit, it was 155 yards. Uh, I hit a nine iron, and it was a big old cut. I hit it a little bit thin, big old cut, and it just it hit the front of the green, and the pin was all the way in the back, and it just ran all the way up the green and went in. It was awesome, first one. <laughs>
0: All right, I'll let you run. Uh, I appreciate you, man. I know you got to hop, y'all are heading heading to the bus, I think. But yeah, we're getting thank ready. you so much for your time, man. I love your spirit. I appreciate you so much, and I hope you all have a great Christmas.
3: Dude, it was a pleasure. Right back to you, and I uh, hope you have a good one, and, and we'll see you around, man.
0: Really appreciate Hardy's insight. I mean, I'm telling you, I, we, we're going to have that guy on again. We have to. He he was running off to a show right after he got done talking to me and there's so much more I want to know I want to know about his relationship with Morgan Wallen, and their best buddies and I want to know more about those songs that he wrote for other people and I want to know more about the explosion kind of into mainstream consciousness in the format it's so hard to do guys being a superstar in today's country music, I would say what's well, different. I wouldn't say it's easier than it used to be. It's still an eight-year town, a 10-year town, but with all the streaming and all the different avenues for these artists to get their vision and their passion to us, there's so many more avenues than just terrestrial country radio right now which still has tremendous power, but it used to be the only gatekeeper. Now these guys have all these different avenues with Instagram, TikTok. We've seen what's happened on TikTok with uh, Walker Hayes. I mean, Walker's been in Nashville for a while, but when he blew up on TikTok, all of a sudden, man, it's different for him. We should have him on. Appreciate Hardy coming on. We're going to have him on again. I love his spirit. I love his authenticity. A guy's got a big fat lipper in, drinking a bush light while he's talking to me. That's my kind of guy. Thank you. Thank you to to Hardy. And thank you so much to you guys. So, so full of gratitude for what we're building here. We got some stuff coming on the Marty Smith podcast. We got stuff coming at Outsider that's going to make y'all go, hell yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that, and I'm so grateful that I'm a part of it. I know Wes is. I know Travis is. Again, our thoughts are with Travis and his family right now following the passing of Travis's grandmother. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials all over the country working hard to keep our community safe. Thank you so much to our fire and rescue, running into the fire to save lives, risking your own life for the betterment of others. That is such a selfless position. We're grateful. I'm always remiss to say thank you to our teachers. Having nailed the million-dollar throw at the college football playoff, I had so many teachers walk up to me in the concourse, walk up to me in the airport Tuesday morning at the Indianapolis airport full of gratitude that I made that throw. And to Eckrich, to Eckrich Meats, to Smithfield, that brand who champions extra yard for teachers. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate our military. Thank you so much for your sacrifice for our country. We live in the greatest land because we're free. Thank you all. Have a great week. We'll see you next time around.